Well, I was delighted to hear of the schedule change today. It's 10.30. I usually don't get up until 11.30, and we go to 12.15. So I appreciate you giving me that extra hour this morning. <laughs> I said that to Ron. He says, no, no, there's a dinner. I said, oh, okay. So um, I want to also just tell you how much I appreciate uh, the mothers here this morning and how many of you have really dedicated yourself to your families and uh, have raised them for God. We really appreciate you and just want to say Happy Mother's Day, moms and grandmas and great-grandmas. Let's turn uh, <clears throat> to Mark chapter 4 this morning. For those of you who are visiting and those of you who are not visiting, we have been studying through uh, character qualities of New Testament people, but as the uh, months go on here, we want to mix it up a little bit, and so from time to time, uh, over the next few months, we're going to be taking a break from our character studies, and we'll be teaching on the parables of Jesus. How many of you like a story? All right, everybody seems to like stories. Aesop's fables are legendary. We, we uh, remember some of the little lines from Aesop's fables. Never cry wolf, okay? And things like, I think that was from Aesop, wasn't it? <laughs> Got to get my story straight. Uh, but there's a difference between a fable and a parable. Both are stories. A parable, however, contains spiritual truth, or as someone once said, it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A fable never leaves the earth. It's entirely earthly in its view. Parables are designed to help the hearer remember what they heard, what was said. The purpose of a parable is to get people to think. Sometimes a parable is very short, and sometimes it's just one line, and it's a parable. And the purpose of it is to get you to think, what is the meaning of this parable? What it is, it's to ponder, it's to solve the story. It's a wonderful way of teaching. Jesus used it all the time, so we might say it's perfect. It's a perfect way of teaching. So this morning we're going to start into our parables with the parable of the sower. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> And we'll begin reading at verse 1. And again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, a so behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not much, have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. 
And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The parable begins with one word. What is it? Listen. It ends with a statement. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the purpose of a parable is to, is to get people to listen and to think. Listen and think. Apply this to your lives. Jesus is conveying here a deep spiritual lesson in this parable. And those who are wise will listen. They will hear. In fact, once you know the meaning of the story, you will see that it has everything to do with you. It's all about you. So let's consider the story this morning. Now, we aren't farmers, um, many of us or any of us. And so there's a little explanation needed here. 2,000 years ago, there were no motorized uh, farm equipment to use. There were no um, uh, automatic planters and things like that. They actually used people. Crazy as that may seem, that's how they did it. And in these days, uh, a, a farmer would have a pouch or a bag of seed around his waist, and he would reach into this pouch, and he would just walk his field. And he would take the seed, and he would just throw it like this into the, into the ground, and it would scatter widely. It's called broadcasting. Sound familiar? How do we use the word broadcasting today? Sorry? Radio. And what is radio broadcasting? It's taking a voice and it's spreading it widely as far as the signal will take it. What is television broadcasting? Taking a voice, taking pictures, and, and sending the signal as far and wide as you can. So the term broadcast that we use today actually comes, the root word comes from this practice of taking seed and scattering it, throwing it as widely as you can. Um, so he goes out into his field, and they didn't have these great big um, motorized pieces of equipment that would turn the soil to a depth of three feet. They basically took a little plow with it behind a, uh, a donkey or an ox or something like that, and they would walk the field, and it would turn over a little bit. But deep down, there might be stuff underneath there that he, he never knew about, couldn't see. But he went out and he scattered seed anyway. So it says in the story that some fell on the hard path. And so, again, you have to think in terms of what Jesus was referring to here. In those days, if I was the owner of a field, I would have a plot of land. Maybe it'd be a half acre or an acre, whatever it was that I could work in my, um, in my personal ability. Maybe I could work an acre. But around my farm, I would have a path so that nobody would walk through my plot. Nobody would walk over the grain. Nobody would walk over the seeds. And so I would make a path around my land, and it would be like my sidewalk. Okay, And my sidewalk was basically hard-packed soil that I could walk on, that my animals could walk on, that travelers going through the area could walk on, and every day they walked on it, the ground became harder and harder. We just talked about soil compaction out here a few weeks ago, and uh, we needed, in order to build this building, 95% compaction rate. Well, I believe that the soil that they're talking about was probably about the same. Okay, once it's compacted like that, very, very difficult for any seed to grow on it. So some, some of the seed fell on that kind of soil. Some fell on soil that had, it says it's rocky soil. What it really means is this, that there are large 
boulders or large rocks under the ground that the farmer could not see, covered by a very thin layer of soil, enough for a seed to fall into, but not enough moisture for the seed to grow. Then some fell among thorns. So as a uh, farmer would go and plow his field, he would get to a corner, but he wouldn't go onto the hard soil. He'd get to the corner, and he would make a turn and bring his plow back the other way. So those corners had weeds growing in them because he just never plowed them over. Or, I don't know how many of you are backyard farmers, but I can plant a seed or I can plant a plant and I can prepare the soil and make it all great for the plant to grow and it will struggle for life and all the weeds that are in the soil, the little seeds that I never planted, come up and just choke it out. How many of you have done that? Yesterday, I went to a little patch of my garden. I thought, oh, I better go weed that section. And I came out, I'm serious, I came out with handfuls, two big handfuls, I mean, of weeds that had taken over that section. I mean, it looked really pretty. It was all green. (laughs) Just not the plants I wanted to be there. And then finally, some falls on good soil. And even among uh, the seeds that fall on good soil, some fall, uh, some produce uh, a harvest 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100-fold. Now, let, let me say this. In a parable, each part of the parable has significance. And so as Jesus told the story, uh, the things that he said all had meaning. So we want to begin, as we do any Bible study at all, we want to begin with what? Observation. Thank you, whoever said that. What pieces of the puzzle do we see here? We have, who do we have in this story, first of all? A sower. What else do we have? Seed. What else do we have? Well, we have ground. Actually, we have four types of ground. Huh? Soil, yeah. Oh, sun, yes, I'm sorry. Sun and birds. Okay, that's it. Every part of that has a meaning. So let's talk about the sower first of all. And, you know, the, the neat thing is this. Uh, what is the best way of interpreting the Scripture? With other Scriptures, exactly. And so if the person telling the parable, in this case Jesus, also gives us the answer to the parable, what do you think the answer is? <laughs> Whatever Jesus says, okay? So in this case we have it spelled out for us exactly what each part uh, means. And so the in this section of the Scripture, we know that the seed is the Word of God. Okay, so I want to just go down um, to verse 13. He says, Do you not understand this parable? He was talking to uh, his disciples. How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the Word, yeah, not the seed. He says the sower sows the word. So we saw in the early part of the parable, the sower was sowing the seed. Jesus says the seed is what? The word. Okay, so we got that much in the in the um, thing here. So we know that the seed is the word of God. In that case, who is the sower? Okay, you say us. You say Jesus. Who is it? Disciples? You say disciples? Okay, I'm still fishing. I'm not saying you're wrong. Whoever sows it. That's exactly right. Whoever sows the seed. 
is the sower, right? I mean, it makes sense. So if you have the seed and you scatter it, it could mean then that it is you or me, okay? We are the sowers that Jesus is talking about here. It's the person who spreads the word of God. It's the person who uses the word of God to try to reach people with the gospel. Um, it is the evangelist. It is the friend. It is the coworker. It is the relative who is concerned about your soul or you are that person concerned about your friends or your relatives or your coworkers. You are the sower in this passage. Let me ask you a question. I've often thought about this and it kind of bothers me a little bit. How many people came to you this week and tried to share the gospel with you, tried to tell you that you needed to know the Lord and and come to him for salvation. How many people spoke to you this week? Eric says zero. One person talked to you. Good. Okay, zero. How many was it zero? Okay. How many of you had anybody tell you in the last month that you needed to know the Lord? Zero. John had a few. One. Okay. You have, you have somebody too? Okay, here's the thing. So many, I, I've gone through almost my entire life. I hate to tell you this, but I'm actually over 50. I'm over the hill. As somebody once said, <laughs> I've got a lot more years behind me than I have ahead of me. Okay? And I have rarely in my lifetime had anyone tell me, you know something, Don? You need to know the Lord. Rarely. That's scary. We have people all around us, and we have the truth of the gospel. How many of us are sowing the seed? You know, sowing the seed is not that difficult. And as a matter of fact, as we read through this story, we're going to find out that there is the only responsibility that the sower has is what? To sow. That's it. How hard is that? Reach in, pull out a word from the Lord, and spread it. It's that simple. Okay? You say, but... But people won't hear. I know, but that's what the soil's all about. We're going to talk about that. We're not responsible for the soil. We're responsible to spread the word. That's what the Bible says here. Okay, so it's sad to me to say this, but as I look at my entire life, I can only think of a handful of people in my entire life who actually had enough care for my soul to say, Don, you need to know the Lord. Now, that's not to say that I, I went to church. I heard the gospel. Okay? There were people who, who, who delivered the gospel in a church building. But I'm talking about in the world, out in the, world, out in the marketplace, out in the business uh, community and that. Very few people uh, ever spread the word to me. Eric challenged us last week to be like a voice, like John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness. And sometimes I feel like a voice crying in the wilderness but I want to be one who continues to sow the seed. God is responsible for the for the um, the harvest, not me. But I'm responsible to sow the seeds, and so are you. And so the sower is any Christian who will simply take the seed of the Word of God and spread it, broadcast it. And when and when we hear that word broadcast, again, think in terms of television, nonstop, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Think of the radio, broadcast. Think of the internet, broadcast. Okay, It's all over. Broadcast the word of God. 
Are you a sower of the seed of God's word? Early on in my Christian life, I asked somebody, what do you think my spiritual gift is? Every, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. God has given that to us. And I wondered at the time as a young believer, what do you think my spiritual gift is? I said to him, um, do you think I might be a Bible teacher? He said, oh, definitely not. <laughs> I said, how about, a, how about an evangelist? No, you're definitely not an evangelist either. And I, I was very sad. Then one day I read in a verse in Matthew 10, 41, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. I said, wow. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. I said, wow. I can get the reward of a righteous man that God is going to give that righteous man? I can share in it just by receiving him? I can get the reward of a prophet and the reward that God is going to give him just by receiving him? Wow, that's really cool. So I put two and two together and I thought, okay, well, a prophet is a spiritual gift, prophecy. A righteous man is is a person who lives righteously before the Lord. Maybe I could share in the reward of a, te- of a Bible teacher. Maybe I could share in the reward of a an evangelist. By receiving the evangelist or by receiving the Bible teacher, by sharing with them in the work of the Lord, not being one, because I'm not, definitely I'm not. I was told that right at my early part of my Christian life. And you've all confirmed it. (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway, so can I receive or share in a teacher's reward or an evangelist's reward? According to my counselor, there was no way I was a teacher but I could share in the teacher's reward. According to my counselor, there was no way that I was an evangelist, but I could share in an evangelist's reward. But how could I share in their reward? And so one day I was on my Nordic track in my office. You can tell that I don't use it anymore. (laughs) And I was doing my exercise and I was kind of looking over the books in my library and I spotted a book with a really outstanding title. It was called Literature Evangelism. And uh, not, not exactly the most popular book in the world, I'm sure. In fact, I looked on the Internet yesterday. It currently ranks number 6,351,266 on Amazon's sale of books currently, <laughs> which means nobody wants to read it. But I did. And as I read it, the Lord used it to get me thinking. It was a book by uh, George Verwer. Some of you have heard of George Verwer. George Verwer was a, a very awful young man whom the Lord soundly converted. And he had been a distributor of pornographic materials, uh, very uh, large scale. And the Lord soundly converted him. He was saved, and uh, the Lord changed him completely. And he became um, probably one of the world's largest distributors of Christian books uh, ever. And um, 
started Operation Mobilization, used to go down with uh, carloads of tracks to, to Mexico on spring break from, I think he went to Moody or to one of the colleges there at the time, and uh, just began a worldwide dist- uh, literature distribution, would fill boats with books and take them to the four corners of the earth um, in, in his lifetime. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of copies of books that he distributed uh, in his lifetime. Literature evangelism. And so as I read the book, I got to thinking, well, I thought, well, you know, I'm not a teacher, but some teachers have put their writing or their, their teaching into writing, into books. I could hand out a book. How hard is that? And some evangelists have written gospel tracts or have written gospel booklets. I could buy up as much seed as I could possibly get my hands on and distribute it as widely as I could and in that way share in the evangelist's reward. Wow, that's cool. So even though I'm not a Bible teacher and even though I'm not an evangelist, I could share in their rewards. I said, Lord, I want to do this. I want to do this. And so... It's broadcasting. I can hand out literature. I can broadcast the gospel seed to those who are unsaved. And so over the last 25 years, I have made it my aim to buy as much evangelistic literature, as much as many books as possible, to get them out as widely as possible, to as many people as possible, so that some might fall on good soil. And in the process, I have found that there are many um, who are doing the very same thing. Some reach out to prisons, some to hospitals, some on campuses, some on street corners. Some use tracts, some use booklets, some use their voice. But all of them have this one thing in common. They are out there sowing the seed. And the great thing about being a sower is that any believer can do it. Even if you can't speak, you can hand out a book. Right? So are you a sower this morning? Will you share in the reward of an evangelist? Be out there sowing. Let's take a a look at the seed. So as I stated earlier, Jesus stated actually, the sower sows the word. The seed is the word of God. In this parable, is there anything wrong with the seed? No. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with the word of God? No. Okay? So the seed is good. The problem here in this story is not the seed. We have the seed. If we use the seed of God's Word, we simply share the Word of God with other people. It's good. That's not the problem in this story. We must use the Word of God, however, in our evangelism. You cannot argue a person into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Okay? You've got to use the Word of God. Why? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, It's essential. You have to use the Word of God in evangelism. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that is the Word of God, the gospel of our salvation, um, for it is the power of God for or to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So if you want to to use something very, very powerful in reaching your friends, reaching your coworkers, reaching your family, it's got to be the Word of God. It's the gospel that is the dynamite of God that blows up the field so that it's ready to hear the Word of God. Okay, That's really what it's talking about. It's preparing that soil 
for the word of God or the seed of God's word. So the seed is good. And let me tell you something. The seed always produces fruit. You say, well, wait, that's not what it says in the story. Well, it does, though. As long as there are sowers sowing the seed and as long as the soil uh, it falls in is the right kind of soil, the seed will always produce fruit. Okay, now we talk about four types of soil. So we know what the sow, who the sower is. We know what the seed is. What's the soil? Anybody want to take a guess? It's the hearers. Okay, it's the only people left. It's the hearers. So Jesus explains the four types of soil, and they represent four types of people. So first we come to the hard soil. So back on the field, on the farm, the sower goes out to his field and broadcasts his seed, and some falls on the footpaths trampled hard by people and by animals. Not ideal growing conditions, I would say. Seeds that fall on this ground never penetrate the soil. They sit on the top of the surface of the soil, and then Jesus said, the birds come and snatch up the seed. Who were the birds? Sorry, who said that? Oh, I said, what was it? Absolutely, Satan, yes. Jesus says it. How do I know? Well, just read on in the passage down below, verse 15. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Who is represented by the hard soil? It's a person with a hard heart. Hardened to the gospel. It's a person who argues with you every time you try to present him with the truth. About six years ago, I was asked to teach the senior class at uh, my kid's school uh, the Bible. I had a senior class Bible class. And uh, in my class, I started the first day and I said, listen, kids, uh, one thing I want you to know right up front. I believe this book. This is the Word of God. And I'm going to teach it literally. I'm going to teach it as truth because that's what it is. Immediately, a young lady put up her hand. And she says, what if you don't believe in God? And I said, are you asking the question because you don't believe in God? She says, that's right. I'm an atheist. And I said, really? And she says, yes, I am. She says, I don't believe there is a God. And I said, I didn't say this out loud, but I thought it. I said, well, in my head, I was going, well, young lady, God doesn't believe in atheists. The reality is, and I said, I did say this to her. I said, Man, uh, young lady, I said, I don't believe you are an atheist. And she was shocked. She says, of course I'm an atheist. I just told you I was an atheist. I said, as an atheist, by definition, you must be able to prove to me that there is no God. And I said, you can't do that. At most, you might be an agnostic. You don't know whether there's a God. But I said, I hope that you have enough open-mindedness to listen as we teach in this class over the next year and give the Word of God a chance to penetrate your heart. And I said, listen to what God has to say. So she sat down. Every time I'd say the Word of God says something, hand would go up. And she would argue every point in the class all the way through. Finally, the Lord made her so sick because I believe the Word of God was penetrating. It was beginning to have its effect that she had to quit school. She was an A student. 
and she had to quit school. And she was out of school for, I think, one or two months. And while she was there, uh, she was doing homework from the class and, or from her uh, other classes and so on. And at the end of the year, I was asked uh, to grade her. I fi- she failed my class. She wasn't there. And her parents were outraged that I would fail her. First fail she'd ever had in her life. Senior class. And she said, or they said to me, how can she fail this class? And the administration came to me. How could you fail her? I said, she didn't finish the class. They said, is there anything you can do for her to help her to pass the class? I said, sure. I said, let me think about it. So I went home and I prayed and I said, Lord, what do I do for this woman? What do I do for this young lady? Then it dawned on me. I thought, well, she could finish my class by reading Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, a clear gospel presentation. And so I gave it to her with all the homework. I said, if she finishes this to my satisfaction, I said, I will pass her for finishing the work. Okay. So she read it. She read it through, all the way through. She said to a uh, friend of hers in the class later, she says, one day, I want to grow up. I want to grow up. <clears throat> when I grow up, <laughs> if I grow up. I'd like to be a missionary in Africa. <laughs> what? The Lord was beginning to have his work. But I'll be honest with you. There are very few people with hardened hearts who ever uh, trust the Lord. God can and does. The Apostle Paul is an example of someone who had a hard heart. God can. But in this story, it's clear from the soil that in most cases that never happens. Why does it not happen? It's because as soon as you broadcast the seed and it falls on their heart, Satan comes and snatches it away. It's just that quick. I've seen that with my own eyes. And you know, don't let hardened, hearted people discourage you from broadcasting the seed. The seed is still good. And it will accomplish what God has sent it out to do, whether for judgment or for salvation. It is obvious from the parable that the hard soil represents hard-hearted people who have made a choice to reject the gospel uh, of God. They have steeled themselves against the word of God and they have rejected the only Savior there is, Jesus Christ. Now, there are many religious people among this crowd. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were hardened hearts, hardened soil. But there are many religious people today who are just as hard as they were. Some of the hardest soil in existence today is the children of saved parents. Do you know that? Some of the hardest soil in existence is the children of saved parents. Why? Because they've heard it and they've rejected it. They were not soft towards the gospel and they rejected it. A few years ago, I spoke to some of the employees at a hotel where we stayed. And as I presented the gospel to one of the workers, every time I'd say something about how he needed to be saved or how he could be saved, he would bring up his good works. And I would say something about, well, you can't be saved by good works. Yeah, but I've been a good person all of my life. But you can't be saved by good works. Yeah, but I really love my mom and dad. But you can't offer your good works to God. They don't count for anything. Yeah, but I work hard at this hotel so I can send money to my parents in Mexico so they can live. And every time I'd say something about the gospel and I'd bring the word of God into it, it was like Satan was just eating every seed that would fall on the ground. And he's convinced to this day that his good works will get him to heaven. Hardened heart. It was as if I was watching Satan 
working right before my eyes. Nothing wrong with the seed, but there's something wrong with the soil. But not every heart is so hard. So the next uh, soil is the rocky soil. Now, in this soil, there's large hard pan soil or rock underneath the soil, just a thin layer of, of dirt on top. And so as the sun comes out and beats upon the soil, that's a good thing, actually. Okay, What it does is it causes plants to send their roots down deeper for moisture and for nutrition. But as this plant begins to send out its roots down to the ground below it, thunk, it hits stone, it hits rock. Thunk, and it just, it, it can't produce, it can't, you can't get water out of a rock. I'm sorry. I mean, Moses could, but the plant can't. <laughs> so as soon as the sun rises, the plant withers and dies. Now, who is represented by this soil? It's the person who hears the gospel. And there's enough information for that person to believe the gospel and be saved. And they actually, if you watch plants grow, the the heat of the sun will hit that soil. And actually that soil, because of the rock underneath it, will be warmer than all the soil around it. And what happens in a case like that is, is that the seed actually seems to come to life faster than all the rest of the uh, uh, seed around it because it's warmer there. And as it springs up, it sends out its shoots or whatever, and the sun comes and it, and it heats it up and it just shrivels up and it dies. And a person like this um, could even make a profession. They could even say, you know what? I believe in the Lord. I believe in the Lord. And, um, but their profession is really shallow. They're not really saved at all. Carlos was a man like this years ago. Uh, one day during my intern training at uh, Fairhaven, one of the believers at Fairhaven called me and she said, Don, she says, there's a man over here at Fairhaven who wants to get saved and he wants to get saved right now. Can you come over and help me lead him to Christ? Wow, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity like that. Are you kidding me? And so I, I actually was sick that day and I got, got up and I ran over to Fairhaven as fast as I could and I come in and she's got this guy sitting in one of the rooms. She says, Don, this, this guy, he's come here today and, and, uh, he wants to get saved and she says, I'm so excited about this and she says, could you just help me lead him to Christ? I don't know what to say or what to do. I said, calm down. <laughs> Let's just ask a couple of questions. So I came right over and I, uh, I introduced myself to Carlos. I Honestly, in my entire life, I have never seen anyone so eager to trust Christ as Carlos. Never. And uh, it's kind of exciting to see this real great interest in, in uh, the Lord and the gospel. So I shared some scripture with Carlos, and, and it was almost like, just, 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 just get to the point. Just tell me how to pray. What do I need to say? What do I need to do? Just tell me how I can be saved. And I said, Carlos, just wait. Let me tell you a couple more things. <laughs> I said, Carlos, why do you want to get saved? He says, because I want to become a Christian. I said, well, Carlos, why do you want to become a Christian? He said, because my girlfriend became a Christian. Why did you sigh? I said, Carlos, have you been living with your girlfriend? Yeah. I said, Carlos, 
I said, have you been immoral with your girlfriend? Yeah. And then he became very agitated with me. He said, look, just tell me what I need to pray. I, I, I need to get saved. I said, Carlos, can I ask you something? I said, if God saved you, would you repent of your sin of immorality? What? He says, wait, wait, he says, listen, my girlfriend got saved. She doesn't want to see me anymore. I can't have a relationship with her anymore because she uh, repented. And he says, now you're telling me that I need to repent as well? I said, well, yeah. I said, you need to repent of your sin and trust the Lord. It's repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so, so what you're telling me is like, like we, we can't keep doing it? I said, no. I said, I said, you're really not that concerned about your soul. He says, oh, if that's what it takes, I'm out of here. Whoosh, out the door. Wow. And I've never seen Carlos again since. I told you, I'm not an evangelist. What happened to Carlos happens to so many people. Sometimes it happens that early in your conversation, and sometimes it happens later. Sometimes people actually do... Listen, if I had said to Carlos, Carlos, just pray this prayer after me, do you think he would have prayed? Absolutely. Do you think Carlos would have been saved? Absolutely not. Okay? Absolutely not. He saw his sin. He wanted Christ. He sprung up quickly to desire to be saved. But there was no root in him. He had ulterior motives, actually. And his interest withered up and died. Could I have led him to Christ? Sure, but that would have been spiritual malpractice. And Carlos would still have been unsaved at the end of that prayer. Be alert to the fact that there is this rocky soil. And there are many people who want Jesus, but they want their sin too. They want Jesus on their own terms. Seed that lands on rocky soil does not produce fruit. No root, no fruit. Were they saved? No. So the third type of soil is seed on uh, among thorns. Sometimes seed falls on ground and it looks fine. But lying somewhere in that soil are the seeds of weeds and thorns that begin to choke out the good seed. So who's represented by this thorny soil? It's a person who has, again, a spiritual interest. And they probably even make a profession of faith. But the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches, Jesus said, um, it says in verse 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. A person like this, his portfolio is more important than his soul. His annuity is more important than his eternity. Dave was a man like this. When I was a young boy uh, growing up in the church back in Vancouver, uh, I would see Dave come to the church uh, with his wife and his family for special events like Christmas and Easter and any time there was a meal. And whenever there was a special event, he would usually come. He was usually there to see his kids as they, um, 
you know, did something. They performed at the Christmas play or whatever. He wasn't hard soil. Dave was a real nice guy, real easy to talk to, real good interest in a lot of things. He actually was very um, uh, amenable to uh, Christians. He really was a nice guy. He'd listen, be very considerate of the claims of Christ in his life. Usually on weekends, though, he, he wouldn't show up because, you know, the garden needed weeding and the house needed painting, the cabinet doors needed replacing, the car needed fixing, and the boat needed sailing. But Dave would still hang around Christians on occasion. A lot of people in the world like Dave. They're interested in the Lord, but there's so many other things calling for their attention. So many other things. Could be their favorite TV program. Could be Facebook. Could be sports. Could be the pursuit of riches or fame or pleasure. Their hearts are so preoccupied that really there's no room left for Jesus. And seed that is sown in soil like that is quickly crowded out by the weeds of other things. At one point, we had a two-week um, evangelistic uh, meetings scheduled at our church, and Dave actually found the time to come out. I was surprised. I was just a young guy, maybe 13, 14 years old at the time. And I watched Dave as he came to the meetings. I'll never forget watching Dave one night as the evangelist was sharing the gospel, and he was really making an appeal for unbelievers to give up their sin, trust the Lord for salvation, that they had an opportunity to have their sins forgiven, be on their way to heaven. And I saw Dave I, I, sitting in rows like this. Dave was sitting about here, and I was sitting on the other side of the aisle, maybe a couple rows back, and I, I was just watching. I wasn't paying attention. I needed the Lord too. But I was watching Dave this day, and as the evangelist was, was preaching, Dave was on the edge of his seat. I'd never seen him like this before. He was really listening carefully, had ears to hear that night. And uh, the preacher made his final appeal to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And I could tell Dave was wrestling with that in his heart. The evangelist actually invited people to come forward and, and to talk with him and, and to get more information on how they personally could know the Lord and be saved. As I was sitting behind him and watching, I've never seen anything like this uh, before. But literally, Dave was wrestling with, his, with uh, the Lord uh, at that moment. And I saw Dave as he, he was kind of crouched over most of the message, just really listening intently. And at the end, after the uh, preacher had finished, he, I could see him kind of thinking, meditating on what was being said. And, and as he put his hand down and he got up to, to get up and then he went back down in his seat. And then he rose up again a little bit and then he got back down in his seat. And again, and it happened for five minutes as he wrestled with the Lord uh, and, and his soul. Finally, he just slumped in his chair. And then a couple of, well, maybe just a few seconds later, he got up and he walked out. And he never came to know the Lord. Recently on uh, the Internet, I, I happened across Dave. And uh, it's very interesting to me that Dave is still painting his house and sailing his boat, and working on the garden on weekends, but there's no time for the Lord. There's nothing wrong with painting your house. 
There's nothing wrong with weeding your garden. There's nothing wrong with any of those things unless those things distract you from the most important thing, and that is your soul uh, before the Lord, your salvation. What is it in your life that chokes out the Word of God? There was a lady who wrote a little piece of poetry. She says this, Time for some soccer, a concert or two, golfing and shopping, a nice walk will do. Time for some baseball down at the park, hot dogs and soda until it gets dark. Time for some football on the TV, popcorn and apples, a a cold glass of tea. Time for some swimming down at the lake. Summer is here, vacations to take. Time for some parties. Friends will be there laughing and talking. Have not a care. Time for some camping. Picnics are fun. Time to go hunting. Pick up your gun. Time for some pleasure. Summer is here. Boating and skiing. Weather is clear. Time to meet Jesus. He sees but a few. You didn't know him. He doesn't know you. Every day, life chokes out the message of salvation for so many people. I heard a story of a man and his wife who were witnessing one day to a lady at her front door. And as they shared the gospel with her, they began to really get through to her. And then they said suddenly her countenance just changed immediately. She says, oh, I've got to go out into the garden and pick some asparagus. And she shut the door in her face and walked into the house and out the back garden to pick some asparagus. That was weird. The evangelist said, suppose that woman were to die tonight. And for all eternity, she heard the words echo in her mind. Oh, I've got to go out and to the garden and pick some asparagus. She could have had Jesus, and she chose asparagus. The distractions are many, whether riches or asparagus. What is choking out your salvation? What is it that hinders you from coming to Christ? But the sower continues to sow the seed, and there is seed that falls in good soil as well. And some produces 30 or 60 or 100 fold. Are you a believer this morning? Be out there sowing the seed. Bear fruit for the Lord. Blessed is the sower who sowed seed in Vancouver about 100 years ago. I've told you the story. The day he saw my uh, great-grandmother, my grandfather, ended up going to church, got saved, ultimately led to the salvation of my mother. Years later, I trusted the Lord. The Lord has allowed me to lead others to himself. And in the process, millions of seeds have been sown, and only the Lord knows the fruit that will come from that. One seed that was sown in Vancouver 100 years ago. Blessed is the sower who sowed seed in Rick's life, and Rick sowed the good seed in Eric's life, and Eric sowed the good seed in John Rosendahl's life. And John Rosendahl shared the good seed in uh, the friend at, uh, what's it? Daryl. But what was the fellow that's now in Hawaii? Jason. And Jason now preaches the gospel to others in Hawaii. And he's now sowing the seed of the word of God there. Blessed is the evangelist who was out sowing seed that day. Blessed is the Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball who taught a class of boys. And one of the young men in his class was 17 years old, and he worked in a shoe store. And one day, Eric, I'm sorry, Edward was really prompted of the Lord to go and talk to this young man about his soul. 
And he said, well, I'll go down to his shoe store where he, where he works and I'll, I'll uh, tell him about the Lord there. And as Edward got to the shoe store, he thought, well, this is really crazy. He's working. I am going to disturb him at work. I probably shouldn't do this. And he almost turned around and he went home. But the Lord prompted him, no, go inside. Talk to, talk to this young man. And so he did. And uh, when he got in the store, he found that he wasn't out on the floor, that he had just gone into the back room to get a pair of shoes. And so he followed him into the back room. And there was this young man just putting together a pair of shoes for somebody. And he went up to the young man and he put his hand on his shoulder and he says, can I talk to you about the Lord? And right there and then in the back of that shoe store, Dwight L. Moody trusted the Lord. I don't know if you know Dwight L. Moody. He's one of the uh, America's greatest evangelists. Um, preached the gospel, led many, many thousands to the Lord. Um, from the ministry of Dwight L. Moody came a train of evangelists and soul winners. And uh, I believe, I may be wrong in my, in my story, but I believe that it was even through um, Moody, at Moody Bible Institute that uh, George Verer went. I, is that true, Matt? Was it Moody or was it Wheaton? don't remember. But I think it was Moody uh, Bible Institute. And it was there that George Verwer went out and began to began his ministry of reaching out in literature evangelism. That's that same guy that wrote that book that is 6,300,000 on Amazon today. And in a sense, kind of indirectly, in a kind of a weird way, had an impact on my life too. And in kind of a weird way, may have an impact on your life today too. We are sowers of the seed of the word of God. Don't be alarmed by the fact that there are four types of soil. We need to fulfill our responsibility of sowing the seed, getting it out. Let the Lord deal with the harvest. Perhaps this morning you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You are one of those four soils, either the hard soil, the rocky soil, the soil among thorns, or you're the good soil. I pray to God that you're the good soul and you would trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and be fruitful for him. Let's pray. Lord, as you began this parable, you said, listen. And as you ended it, you said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we pray, Lord, for ears that hear this morning and that the seed of your word would fall on good soil and bear much fruit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.